Hello everyone, you're listening to America Meditating Radio. We collect wisdom, inspire each other, and empower hearts on demand 24-7. I'm Sister Jenna, host of the syndicated America Meditating Radio. Join us as we talk one-on-one with leading experts who answer life's most compelling questions. Because in a world of uncertainty, we need answers right here, right now. America Meditating Radio, a show for everyone to learn more about this amazing thing called life. Hi everyone, Om Shanti, and welcome to America Meditating Radio in collaboration with The Next Normal. You know, with things continuing the way they are, we're going to need to have a lot of mental health, a lot of stability inside. We're going to need to maybe dig deep in ourselves to really rise high. Things are different and we're different. We're not the same people we were yesterday. Even physically, we're not. (laughs) And so mentally and emotionally, we are changing whether we want to accept it or not. There are some prominent areas or qualities in our personality that it seems as if they're never going to change. But there's that other part of us, that quiet part, that is doing a lot of work. Sometimes it's got everything in order, and sometimes everything is just so chaotic we don't know what to do. My special guest today, Josh Cutler, is a seasoned mental health professional who has worked in the healthcare for nearly 20 years an experienced psychotherapist, clinical social worker, and people leader. His work focuses on improving access to mental health services. Josh works in private practice and is formerly a behavioral health leader for Providence, one of the largest health systems in the United States. Josh is also on the medical staff of the Swedish Medical Center in Seattle. And in addition to that, and where he is particularly unique, Josh has written a new book, titled The Day Hospital, which takes an honest look at his own mental health journey. Today, it gives me great pleasure to welcome Josh Cutler to the air. Hi, Josh. Welcome. Hi. Thanks for having me. It's so fascinating to hear someone who is very familiar with both sides of the equation, an expert who works within the healthcare system, and someone who has needed the help and services. What inspired your interest in becoming a psychotherapist and clinical social worker? Well, I think the some of the earliest experiences in middle school, I was sent to a camp called Natural Helpers Camp because my peers had identified me as someone they saw as being helpful. <laughs> and so from an early age, I think I was somebody who enjoyed connecting with my peers and supporting them. I think empathy comes naturally to me and I've always uh, stood up for the underdog and things like that. But I think that probably the day that I first really probably became a social worker was when I visited my brother in jail who suffers from a severe mental illness, who had had a bit of a breakdown, who had been psychiatrically hospitalized, was experiencing some psychosis, was really sick and hadn't really done anything wrong. And, and there was some dumb breaking and entering thing he did when he was not well. And then here I was, we were both very young teenagers still, but adults and visiting my brother in jail just broke my heart. And it just was so confusing. We, we lived in a rural area, so there wasn't a lot of mental health services and really disorienting for me. And 
I think that has really informed a lot of my life. And then I've also had my own challenges with depression. I've been able to be a bit more functional and professionally I've been able to do quite a lot. And that really drives my work to be able to make sure that we can create services that are for everyone, not just for the privileged few. COVID-19 has been taking a toll on practically everyone, and it has especially impacted our healthcare providers. What have you witnessed in working with the doctors and nurses to even navigate their own emotional needs during such critical times? I mean, this must have been a really hard call for all the healthcare providers. Yeah, a couple years ago, we were already in a crisis emotionally for healthcare providers, and suicide by physicians is already off the charts. And I actually launched a program specifically for physicians and nurses and other healthcare professionals where we plan to scale it across this large health system. And then COVID hit. (laughs) Um, And so we were very busy. I worked both as a people leader and as a, a clinician. And so I had a lot of conversations with doctors that became my clients and nurses and others. And hearing about just the significant challenges that they're facing in the day-to-day and some of the abandonment even that they feel that at first people rallied around them, but now people are just sort of over it and don't want to listen to the medical advice. And so much of what they do has become politicized, which is too bad. But I've also become very dear friends with some doctors that I've worked with over the years and come to really respect their profession and how under fire it's been and how also much big money has gotten involved and corrupted some things in different ways. And so our health system is really in a crisis so many levels right now, but I like to see that as an opportunity. Things were not working real well before COVID. I think we've laid bare some of the significant issues and it may be that we come out of this with a much stronger health system, but we've got to survive this first. My heart does go out to all the healthcare providers as well. But, you know, in meeting with them and lay people and even with yourself, what have you noticed has been the struggle that you have identified the most in people right now? I think being adaptable is such a struggle when we have our lives. I mean, I have two young children. My wife and I both been working And then, like, they canceled school for a few weeks. And actually, this week, my preschool daughter, her school just got canceled again. (laughs) We're like, what are we going to do? And so my kids are still home. You might hear them jumping around upstairs or something. But so I think finding ways to, like, self-soothe that aren't self-sabotaging are really important. So if things are happening that we feel so out of control, There's a lot of ways that humans are able to adapt to that by, for example, using drugs or alcohol or spending a lot of time binging TV shows. And I like to watch TV and certainly we'll have a drink occasionally, but you need to do it mindfully versus just kind of unconsciously like, oh my God, I'm so overwhelmed. I have to just check out. And then you spend most of your free time checking out. (laughs) And that's really not okay. So getting really clear about who do I want to be no matter in the fair weather and the stormy weather and setting a course and grounding that in your values and helping to develop some skills. And that's where mindfulness can be really helpful to be able to sit 
quietly watching your thoughts, noticing them come and go, because that's a skill that you don't just need in that 20, 30 minutes sitting for your quiet time. You need it all day long. <laughs> um, and that's the practice part. And then you're putting into application the rest of the time. And that's something that's an ongoing challenge for me, but at least I'm finally aware of that and those dynamics. So, mm. so yeah, I would say that's the, I think the biggest thing, helping people to stay calm and centered and continuing to move forward without making a bunch of choices that are going to lead to addiction and all kinds of challenges when this is over. And it's such a fine line, isn't it? Because we don't really know ourselves that well. We've been checked out for so long by all the various distractions, whether it's technology, relationship, drinking, working, some of us are workaholics, kids, raising a family, a pandemic. And so it becomes a real fine line in how do I know if I'm drawing the balance at a soul level? My physical body can say to me when I'm aching or when it feels tired, but how do I know when the soul really needs that self-care without it you know, moving towards too much drinking or too much television watching or too much on the computer where you're actually running away from self? And I've noticed that as the self becomes more drained and more disrupted by its natural innate feeling of peace and pleasure and calm, it moves more into those self-sabotaging attachments and behaviors. And so sometimes we quietly find ourselves struggling and we quietly find ourselves in a place of fear or uncertainty or just emptiness. What do you think it is that inhibits people, if they're in that state, for them to reach out for help when they need it? I know if I'm not doing well, I'll tell my family that day, look, I'm going to need you guys today. And even though they can't enter me and enter the soul and make everything right for me, the fact that they know that I am in need of just their emotional, spiritual, personal support in itself is a big aid for me. So what do you think for some of us that at least I reach out when I'm in need, but there's some of us who just don't reach out? What is well, the reason for that? And that's a beautiful example because that's an example having a really high quality relationship with your family where you have the ability to be vulnerable. Not everybody has created those sort of relationships in their life or is able to have those sorts of relationships. So for one, I would say seeking out relationships where you can be a little bit more honest about how you're doing. It doesn't just, everything has to be rosy all the time. And then creating those opportunities, like you said, to be vulnerable, like, hey, I'm struggling and I could use some extra support. We're not in this alone. And so many people struggle alone with this stuff. There's so much stigma about mental health. And I think there's a lot of rallying cry around stigma around mental health is bad. And people all say that, yeah, acknowledge, yeah, men, stigma around mental illness is bad. But people constantly are saying, well, if you're feeling down, just pick yourself up, you know, do this and this and this. I mean, there's constant messages around if you're having a bad day, it should be easy. You just have to do this formula. And capitalism has no end of options that are being sold to us for this is how you can feel better, right? But I think one of the best ways to feel better is that beautiful example you gave of, hey, I'm accepting that I'm struggling with something and 
for one, there's probably some deeper truth in there. What is it that you're struggling with? Whereas if you just glided on by and felt like everything's fine, you sort of might miss that. And so being able to slow down, get a little bit quiet within the safety and protection of people that care about you and love you. Um, And certainly if you struggle with depression, as I do and as many people do, it's good to have even some bigger plans where you maybe build in some professionals and others that you can reach out to and say, hey, I'm really struggling. My symptoms are getting to the point where I can't function. And that's a big indicator. Like, are you able to do the things that typically you would do? And I'm not just saying, can you work? Because many of us, and doctors are a great example, can work and work and work, and the whole rest of their life falls apart. So are you able to play with your children? Are you cooking dinner? Are you doing dishes? <laughs> you know, there's a lots of indicators that your life is in balance. And so if your life is out of balance, making sure to get that support to get it back into balance. Depression is nothing new out there. It's been around from, I don't know, I don't even want to suggest how long depression has been in existence. I remember looking at my mother, you know, when she was orphaned at seven, she had been traumatized in orphanages from there on. And growing up with her as an adult, I saw her depression. And it could have been that one thought that kept her feeling that I was victimized. Nobody was there to help us. We were abandoned. We were left alone. You know, none of the adults came to save us. Why would God do this to me and my family? You know, the story could go on. I don't know what her deepest were. I'm just assuming that her depression was based on just being so abandoned from a child and not having any parents or any relatives to turn to for safety, for comfort, for food, for shelter, for clothing. But it must have been really difficult. So I can sort of say, okay, you know, mother, I can understand why you don't want to get out of the bed or your behavior can sometimes be very animated in ways that I don't understand. And there are some souls that sometimes I look at their lives and everything seems perfect and the depression also doesn't escape them. There are folks that are young, middle-aged, elderly, Indian, Chinese, Japanese, African, Spanish, American, European. This energy of depression just will not leave you. Is there one thing that you can share with the world right now that can somehow press a pause button in the depression of people's lives. One thing that could be the waking up moment, the aha, oh, that's it. You know what I'm saying? I look at my mother today and I still see her carrying a little bit of this luggage of the victim. And I can see how it weighs out in the choices that she has made, Josh. And it's okay because on the other side of it, She's attracted me, a daughter that's been a great example for her. I've kept my happiness and energies going. She's got the best people around her. She's been exposed to the best quality of life. And yet, that energy exists. Is there one thing that you can share that can just snap somebody out of that feeling, even if it's just for five seconds? Well, I wish that I had a magic wand. <laughs> um, it's that, a big one, right? It's a big um, question. Yeah. And 
I mean, depression is the leading cause of disability worldwide. It's, as you said, it touches everybody. It doesn't discriminate. I'm really interested in the epigenetics of depression. I go into this in my book, where, like you described, a childhood that your mother went through, and you, it may be, that have worked through some of those issues that she was never able to work through. So you did inherit some of the same traumatic experiences that she experienced just genetically. It's in your makeup. And it could be that in this lifetime, this is as far as she's going to get. There's certainly, I would say, really good evidence-based treatments for depression. I take medication. That's not for everybody. There's good psychotherapies. But I think at the beginning of any journey towards healing from depression, there's an acknowledgement of these things happened. And it can be as much as an instant of being in a place where you're safe enough, where those ego defenses down and grieve the life that maybe could have been the pain that you've been holding on to. It sounds like from this example of your mother, she just had a lot of difficult things happen that really shaped who she became. And this happens neurologically. It's not just your thoughts. I mean, it's really the way our brains develop and those early years have a huge impact. And we're not just talking Freud here, we're talking neuroscience. Um, They have a huge impact on how people's physical experience is for the rest of their lives. And so the best way to like counterweight that is to have experiences that you described of love and connection and other things. And so I think creating an environment where it's okay to acknowledge, hey, I'm struggling today. Things are not going well. I see your struggle in it. My grandmother experienced severe depression throughout her life up until the very end. And I was her power of attorney and I knew that and at one point I had to make a decision about letting her go. And I knew that she was done in this world. She was in her 90s and I knew depression was part of it, but she'd also lived a very full, meaningful life in many ways. But it was very painful for me to let her go and actually have to tell the doctors we're not going to continue this. And so I wish I had a magic answer for you that was just like, this is going to turn things around. No, I think you did share some tips that we could still hold on to. Because I found that even in my moments where I've been in low moments, I don't necessarily remember moving into a space that's been that low. I don't doubt that. And I wonder if we investigate the deeper levels of the soul. Something I'm exploring, where does depression come from? Is it the desire for something? Or is it the feeling that you're comparing yourself with someone else that you might sense you're not as good as they are? And, you know, we're just not paying attention to that. And little by little, thought by thought, it just begins to depress our personality that we're meant to be. And without us knowing, you know, we just end up over a long period of time sort of robbing ourselves of a life that could have been, you know. It's just a thought. There's no scientific proof. I'm just saying that when I look at maybe some of my lowest moments, I have found myself that I could see there was something that I want that I don't have, you know. Or I look at someone or something and it just seems like it's doing much better than me or why is my life like this and this one's life is like this, you know, and and it can make you start to be heavy on yourself. And it might be something that I think we need to investigate for anyone out there 
who's watching today's program and you do find that you're bumping into some aspects of depression or maybe you've had depression like my mother, which has been all of her life. It has walked with her as a shadow. Maybe it's time for you to really write down your desires and then decide once and for all, I'm going to burn these. Who and what I am is good enough. And then try to talk to the divine and see what is actually in you that wants to be addressed, seen, nurtured, and touched. So this is my food for thought. George, I'm really enjoying our time together, and I'm sure you are too. And I want to go to the book that you've just written, The Day Hospital, which takes a really honest look at our own mental health journey while helping others to do the same. Could you share with us a little bit about the initiation of writing the book and maybe, you know, what was it that you've learned when you actually put the pen down or typed that last key word into the book? (laughs) Well, um, speaking of journeys and speaking of dark nights of the soul, this has been quite an adventure to write this book. The genesis was really a few years ago. I was feeling really overwhelmed by life stressors. My father had died. uh, My grandmother had died. And then I think the kind of what pushed me over the edge was my grandfather died, who I was close to. And my work was very demanding, two small children. Remember, I was commuting every day into the city. I was exhausted on a lot of levels, working two jobs to support my family. And I started having some suicidal thoughts. At first, it was Maybe if I just didn't wake up tomorrow, that would be okay. Then I wouldn't have to deal with this. And then they started to become a little bit more active where I'd catch myself sort of entertaining them throughout the day. And this is while I'm a mental health professional doing these sorts of assessments during the day for folks. And so it really got my attention because I had some suicide attempts in college that were really scary where I almost lost my life. And so for me, suicidal thoughts are a indicator that I really need to take that seriously and take what's going on with me seriously. And so I've got a psychiatrist and I've got a good mental health team and I talked to them about options and there was a option to take some time off and go into this psychiatric day hospital program, which is a week and a half program where you come home at night, but you go in during the day and there's groups, you meet with a psychiatrist and therapists and talk about different skills and also was able to connect with a lot of other people that were feeling like I was, that were professionals like me who had experienced some depression. And so then I ended up having a recovery and I ended up leaving the day hospital and then building some really big mental health programs. That was right after COVID hit. And I came in to that time really passionate about supporting people that were going through these issues because of my own experience of recovery, even pretty recently. And so then I just started to write (laughs) and I had been writing some of my life kind of over many years and I wanted to put it into a book. And so I had some essays already written, but there was a number of essays that I just churned out. It was sort of like spirit coming through me. And then I put them together and I worked with an editor and was able to publish this book, The Day Hospital. The first edition was published anonymously. It's a pretty raw account of my own journey with bipolar disorder. And so for me to put my name on it felt like an awful lot, especially 
I have mouths to feed and I am a professional that there's a lot of stigma even within my professional community about having a mental illness. And I have bipolar 2 disorder, which has been more depression than anything else. And then last year, kind of at the height of the pandemic, I decided, you know what, I'm going to put my name on this book and I'm going to publish a second edition. And it's been quite liberating to just be out there talking about it. For one, I've noticed that a lot of people think it's cool that I read a book. Not everybody necessarily, or that I wrote a book, not everybody necessarily reads it. The whole world doesn't necessarily know all your secrets when you write a book. But the people that take the time to read it and want to talk to me about it, it's been really cool. It's deepened my relationships at so many levels. I've met a lot of new people who are able to connect with me at a deeper level because of knowing what I've been through versus just kind of coming across as well, I'm just kind of a neutral professional guy with a family. That's kind of boring and that's hard for people to relate to. And that's That's often how I was trying to come across before, like hiding. So yeah, so that's been really liberating for me. And I I still struggle. And I recognize depression as part of my makeup. And, you know, there's different ways that I manage that. Navigate through it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. How are you doing now? I mean, how are you sharing internally. And one of the things that I've coined a little differently instead of health illness or mental illness, I always call it, I have a mental opportunity going on right now. Like I have a chance that I could get out of this. (laughs) And I just find that, that, yeah, just start using it. I have a mental opportunity and I'm going to need a lot of opportunities and support Mm -hmm. to see me through it. How are you doing now? I'm doing well. I actually was able to take a time of some sabbatical in the fall I left my job in the health system. I am um, working on another book and I've been focused on my health. And I actually just started a new executive role in healthcare last week. And so I'm getting busier with that, but really enjoying working with a new team and getting to bring my vision into the programs we're creating. And I'm feeling just more having taken a little time off intentionally, not necessarily due to depression like I have in the past, but just saying, you know, I'm tired, I'm overwhelmed. I'm not at that scary point. It's okay to take a break even just when I need a break. And my relationships with my kids and my wife are much improved and other family members. And those are the relationships that I'm going to need to sustain me and that give me energy in life. And so I'm just really living in a lot of gratitude these days. I'm really blessed. I have a comfortable home and a good job. And despite all the things that I've been through, it's like, you know what, I've had an opportunity now to give back and, and help people in a way that I care about. And so in many ways, I'm still a natural helper. Like I get to be a social worker now mm. <laughs> and I'm grateful <laughs> to be able to support my family and do that. So. Well, we're very happy for you. That's really, really good news. I've loved our time together, Josh. It's been really enlightening and I thank you for all that you're doing. Could you leave us with uh, the best website that we can get a hold of you? And do you have any main last message that you'd like to leave with us? So you can get a hold of me at joshcutler.net. There's information about different media I've done and links to the book. You can also get the book on Amazon. I'll look for the second edition. And then the final thing I would leave you with is that it's okay to not be okay. And as that beautiful example you gave earlier, let people know in your life when you're struggling and it's going to not only help you in that moment, it's going to deepen your relationships 
people that I maybe knew at a surface level. How are like some of my dearest, closest friends and family? And a lot of the time we're laughing and having fun together, but it's deepened by that, oh, I understand that you're a human at a deeper level too, and you struggle with this stuff. And so if there's one thing I would leave you with is that level of honesty, as scary as it is, is you're not going to be in that place in that relationship all the time, but it's going to bring overall richness to that relationship that you can't even imagine. And so mm-hmm. take the risk and be vulnerable and it might even save their life someday because they may come to you later and say, Hey, I'm really struggling. I need help. Jess Cutler, thank you so much. It's been really a beautiful time together. Wishing you all the best for you and your family and your new post where you're <laughs> going to be meeting new people with new opportunities. So anyway, thank you very much for being with us. Everyone, I hope you've liked our time together. If so, please do send us a message. If you'd like to somehow get some more feedback or information in Josh's work, please visit him at his website that he has left us. But also remember, you know, you're never alone in whatever you're going through. There's a tribe of people out there, whether you have met them or not. You are not alone in anything that you're going through. God makes no mistakes in making us perfect. So what if we goof? All right. So if we goof it up, then we're going to have to fix it up. But I do believe this with all of my heart, and Josh mentioned it today too, to be able to have that mindful attention, to check your thoughts as your most valuable asset, to see what you're thinking when you are washing the dishes, when you're walking from one room to another, when you're about to sit, surf, to look for what next movie to watch on Netflix. Check those thoughts inside of you. What are they serving? The power in you or the lack of it? And then whatever you can, make a choice at that point. Little bit at a time, little bit at a time. And the more you do it day by day, you'll find that you will gain a tremendous amount of strength within your being to build you, the person that you've always envisioned and dreamed you wanted to be. Thank you so much for joining us on America Meditating Radio in collaboration with The Next Normal. And remember, no one can take away your happiness unless you give them permission. And I suspect that we're actually here to learn to love each other the same. Take care. All the very best. When I was asked by Sacred Stories Publishing to write a book on mystical divine experiences, initially I said, no, those are too private. But then when they came back again to urge me to do it, I said, why not? It'll be of service because over 25 co-authors would have would be joining me on this journey to share their own experiences. In meditation, intimate experiences with the divine through contemplating practices, you will read stories from our co-authors of a heartfelt clarity about a father's death giving his son a new life. You will hear the story of a woman embracing her wounded inner child and healing herself. You will even hear stories about an inexplicable medical miracle and so much more. This book has a life of its own. You will learn how listening to your inner silence can help you overcome life obstacles and reclaim your spiritual power. I hope that you'll be able to dive deep into this and maybe even explore your own mystical and divine experiences for your life to change, for your life to become one that is completely full and rich, of everything good 
enjoy and thank you for looking into meditation intimate experiences with the divine through contemplative practices Rice Alley Restaurant wishes you happy holidays. Located at 6838 Piedmont in Gainesville, Virginia, we're a family-owned restaurant and offer authentic Asian cuisine and sushi. Come, savor our delicacies made with love and enjoy the perfect ambiance. We look forward to seeing you there. I'm Sister Jenna. You've been listening to America Meditating Podcast. You can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Did you enjoy that conversation? Because you can also listen to it on Spotify or on iTunes, 24-7, anytime, anywhere. I do trust we all have inner power to become our very best. When we listen with curiosity to learn more, we grow. So thanks so much for tuning in, and do be easy on yourself. Take care.